Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about first crop alfalfa and considering your timing for cutting. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at the recovery of the food and ag economy since the COVID pandemic. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about alfalfa. Our cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today is Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. I got to say, since the beginning of the baseball season, with new rules, a lot, lot of changes this year in how, you know, pace of play, everything. Um, the first game, the Brewers did not look great, and it was kind of a fall-on-your-face type moment, but... They looked like terrible the first yeah. game where you're just like, oh, no, we're bad again. <laughs> like, we suck again. I, I blame Bill and a couple others for saying, oh, the Cubs are going to be the worst in the NL this year. And then they like, yeah, shut us out first game of the season. But since then, things have been going in a positive direction. Um, whether they'll stay there, but they are currently atop the NL Central. So a good place to be, even though it's early. So it, it, it's good very early, but it's still exciting. So you, and you might, it, Brewers are like that where you got to be excited about regular right. season baseball because they and, usually don't go very far in the playoffs. And I mean, they've had a walk off. They scored was it ten runs against? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had against some the really Mets. And Mets yeah, the, the walk off was awesome. Like rarely, I've listened to enough live ones of Euchre's calls, but not not always. And that was one where yeah, I was in the truck driving between farms and. You heard the get up, get out of here, and you you could just like crank it to listen to them, and it was just was cool to hear the excitement of the crowd, and and Euchre still calling the games is just awesome. Yeah, do we know how many he's doing this year? I I know I don't know. You know, it's just home games, right? And then even that, I, it's I don't know not, if it'd be all of them, right? Yeah. So right. I wonder for him, it's just as many as he sort of physically to do. can do. Yeah. yeah, the for him too, the pitch clock has got to be so. What's Matt saying with pace of play? There's a pitch clock now so basically you get 15 seconds between pitches when there's nobody on base and then 20 seconds when there is people on base and that is very fast so there's times where euchre used to tell stories and you'd have maybe well right for euchre it's got to be cutting down on his right his story time in the middle which again maybe he can do more games now he's talking right (laughs) like it might actually save on it that he can just sort of call the game and there's not this sort of play in the middle where there's nothing going on and those announcers were supposed to fill that time with something. Yeah, I mean, we went from what would be three, three and a half, almost four hour games I, to the first game was two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, two hours, 20 minutes. And they used yeah. to feel... Four hours was pushing, but there was runs upwards of that. And for well, sure, you get an extra innings. Right, and, and you'd, yeah. you'd always say for sure like three hours it would be no matter what. And now to get like two hour games, is that's awesome. It's cra- right? yeah, yeah, it's crazy how fast it goes. Yes, like it, you, you almost have to pay attention. Like the upside before, it was slow. Like you didn't have to always be paying attention because you know things weren't going. Now it's like, oh, I should like actually, actually miss something. Right, if you I don't should pay watch. attention to this. Yeah, yeah. Or like even people always talk like tailgating. They'd come in at the third or fourth inning because the rest of the game was still really long. And now there's a lot of complaints of people that tailgated till the third, fourth inning, and then basically, like, well, why did I even come in the game? It was. It's done so quick that right. you, you all of a sudden it's the seventh inning stretch and like, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. Even beer sales, you wonder, like, right now they stop beer sales at seventh inning. Sure. So are they going to change it where they Stop go, it at a certain time they, mark right, now maybe instead right, of, yeah. The, the seventh, like, can you go till the end of the game now? Because 
they're quicker or, or how is that going to work? So, <laughs> Or will the patrons just drink faster? Right. Probably <laughs> that one, yes. <laughs> I only have an hour and a half to drink all the beer I want here. I'm going <laughs> to have to have more. 10. I must drink more. <laughs> and uh, weather-wise, I mean, it's been a little, little iffy this week with the wind feeling cold, but spring seems to be here. And it'll be here for this week, and then next week it'll be summer. Yeah, right after Easter, they got like 70s in the forecast, which... It's almost 80 on Wednesday. Yeah, when you crazy. hit those numbers, you know it's things pop quick, and those yep. are those, are those like you say, feel like summer right away days, especially because we're used to so cold, so 70s feels like 90s. Yeah. Yeah, it looks good that way, and kind of... Sometimes it is nice where you get that... I won't call this a gradual warm-up, because it jumps so quick, but I'd rather it... We've had it where you get 70s in March, and then alfalfa greens up, wheat greens up, and, and then, then it's fooled. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like 40 again. Yeah, for, where yeah. you literally have April fools where it just <laughs> plays the joke on it. And this year looks like, well, hopefully you get into April and get this warm. Usually it kind of stays a little bit warmer. Well, since it's early April, May, this will be our fool summer. Is this the next what, week? Yeah. yeah, probably right. That one week where you think, you know, you're... It's like, oh, yep, we're going to be planting early out. this year. Yeah, Everything's right. going to be on track. Like, nothing's going to get us down. And then May will be like 30s to begin with. But hopefully not. We'll see what happens. Um, Did we, you do, we've got a lot of drying out to do yet. Yes. No, the frost is all out of the ground. Well, it's just just needs to dry. Yeah. So, And even that, you know, in these days since we've had all that rain, it's dried up quicker than I sort of thought it would, but it's still really wet underneath. So, And we are par for the course. It's supposed to snow tomorrow. Yeah. And then like, be 80 like four days later. So just just Wisconsin weather. Yep, just normal. Matt, you're a big April Fool's guy. Any jokes this year? Or did you? I, I, I did not. I, no, I slacked off a little bit this year. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't get the April Fool's thing going. Um, I thought with a Saturday that would be... I don't know why better or something that you could pull some more or something, but yeah, I, just busy year. I mean, I feel <laughs> just, like a lot, I like a lot going on. Didn't have time to prank anybody, which it's getting dangerous to prank. Did you see that guy that got shot? No, uh, I didn't. Yeah, it was. Uh, I can't remember what mall, but he was in a mall, and it was the um, the guy who was like getting in his, in his face, and all of a sudden just pulled out a gun and shot. Oh, like he had uh, he, he had like a TikTok. Okay. Stream that he was doing, that's what he did, was pranks, and yeah, ended up getting himself shot, and they had, there was another one with the, the bucket over the head thing that's apparently a, a thing a now. New prank, okay. Yeah, where you walk up to a stranger and just stick a bucket oh, yes, over their I've head. Oh, yes, I've seen those. Yeah. Like, I've seen them where they, they put a bucket on the guy's head, and then they put a bucket on their own head, and then act like, yeah. who did the, yeah, which I could see where that could get people. Yeah, I mean, you don't have pranks, you don't have fun, but there is also that line of right, now people are doing it for views on TikTok, not out right. of genuine fun. And it's one thing to do it to your friends or right. someone you know, but when you start involving strangers, that's, I think, why this guy ended up getting shot. And you're you're dealing with a whole new animal there of uh, you know potentially somebody getting hurt, whether it's them or you, because they don't know who you are. No. Then, and you... No, and, and that too. Every like, movie has taught us when someone comes up behind you and puts something over your head, head, you're being kidnapped. Right, you're going to get taken. Right. Yes, Liam Neeson will be finding <laughs> you. That is true. So you are right about that too. Is they, they could be harmless break, but you don't know whether somebody's actually trying to injure you. So I could see why you, in defense, like do right. something back. Yeah, have you ever pranked complete strangers? From what I know, your pranks were always 
Yeah, I mean, the only the closest it came was back at the fair when we were younger. Um, I don't know if you ever participated in this, but one of the other kids in 4-H had a like a plastic spider, and we'd put it on a fish line. Oh yeah, and drop it down like as people like walk through, through, the through the dairy barns. Yeah, um, that's about as close as I I've come to. And it's the county fair, so you know a lot of the people right. walking through the barn. Right. But yeah, there were probably a few people that that weren't someone we knew that we would have done it done to. But. And even that, I can't imagine people got, you know, a spider could logistically fall from that barn. And like, yeah. so the the fear was... You hope that's only a spider falling yeah, from right, the barn. Yeah. Right. And so I'm sure, like you say, that's a quite harmless prank that hopefully people just turn and laugh. And, yeah. And, but since then, it's, yeah, predominantly been people I know. Like in college, I'd, my guys on the dorm floor that I knew we'd, goof around do some stuff um those are the best pranks when they're ones you know because then you can actually get them and you have a knack for this of getting them at a level that you would only be able to do somebody you know you know like fool them with with certain things so yeah but maybe next year 300 yeah right now you can just prep for next year you can save all that up for two years of pranks 358 more days till (laughs) april fools psych myself up all right, you ready to get into our topic for today? Yeah, let's, let's do it. All right, so today we're going to be talking first crop alfalfa timing. Um, with the weather we're getting now, we'll hopefully see some of the alfalfa coming out of dormancy, uh, see it start to perk up, and hopefully be able to, to really evaluate some stands here. We had an interesting winter where it was no cover, very cold early on, we had, in some places, some alfalfa break dormancy in January um, that we know through county agent and some other folks that have went out and looked at it. But then we had snow cover for pretty much the last month and a half. Correct. Yep, snow cover. And and it did get colder. It got cold again. So, but, but it was hopefully covered. Right. So, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether it's alfalfa or wheat or any, any of these, you know, breaking dormancy crops what they look like once we get a few days of decent weather. It does, because we always get this question early, like, especially farm show time, late March, you know, what's what's it doing? What's it looking like? And this is a year or two where it, it springs so late that we just haven't been able to see. It does seem like wheat and rye and that kind of stuff will be just fine. Alfalfa is still going to be, there There might be some stands that have problems. I do think it generally will be okay, but they're, again, that's why we scout them and look for it and right. try to decide which ones we'll have to pull out or, or how they're doing. And that's why I think this is a good segue in the first crop of we'll be checking stands, how they're doing, but first crops are really important crop. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's the more like, it's, it's too bad. It's first because if it was like the fourth cutting at the end where you'd kind of have everything set and everything was good, you know, say corn was planted, everything was done, but first crop can run into a lot of other things at that time like you might still be planting corn hopefully we're not but it happens soybeans or you got maybe other things going on in the farm some guys too where you're for harvesting like a winter annual like a rye or a triticale sometimes that can can bump into your first crop again you hope you got a lot of that stuff off too but the the timing is just critical because you're not only it's not only the amount you're getting in first crop your yields more but it's it's setting up the rest of the growing season timing. So I think that's one thing guys will 
sometimes forget is like, oh, when is the first crop ready? It's like, that's important, but then you got to know, okay, if I'm cutting every 28 or 30 days after that, where does that end me in the year? Right. Because sometimes you maybe don't want to cut too early or too late because you want to have that wrestling, that schedule set up. And I think, too, when you um, talk about timing of, of harvest, it can vary. Like, generally, it always feels like, oh, shoot, we're going to be super late, or, oh, things are going to be really early. But in general, it it all seems to fall within a two- to three-week period between either right before Memorial Day, kind of in that time, or maybe early June in a late year. And what's interesting is that the Outagaming County Forage Council, I think it was, uh, when the county agent, Kevin Jarek, talked about what we've seen in the Alfalfa Persistence Project as far as, as cutting dates is it has been airing on the later side within the last, I think it was the last 10 years. So, or is that the life of the project? However many years, the last, more recently, it, it tends to be a little bit on the later side. So you're saying first crop, like in, we're a little later for when we start cutting first crop. Right. Okay. And it's, it is surprising not uh, how consistent, I don't want to say it's super consistent, but the consistency of, you know, it was always kind of that later May, and now it seems to be more like late May, early June yep. kind of time frame. So it's shifted a little, but it's not a drastic change. What does shock me is you think how different springs are, that it could be like May 15th some years and then June 15th. But it, like you say, it's within that two-week period of, Sort of late May to like the last week of May, first week of June, yeah, almost all the time, and and I th- I think if I always had to pick a day, it would be like for sure ninety days before August thirtieth, so that basically you'd be on a thirty day cutting schedule. Some of those you could maybe bump up on your second or third crop, but then you could let fourth maybe go a little longer, yeah, and that always puts us like basically at June first, June first, June second, like. That, to me, is like the sweet spot to set up the rest of your cuttings. Sure. Now, again, you don't want to sacrifice first cut for the rest of them, but that is a, like a good sort of rule of thumb that if guys are starting, you know, say you wanted to start, you know, this year, May 22nd's a Monday, and if you wanted to start that early, you're kind of throwing the rest of your schedule a little out of whack, whereas, the you know, May 29th is a Monday. And the reason I say Monday, it just does seem like you start cutting the Sunday before you start chopping a Monday, yep. I know we're not like that on the farm. We're not a Monday through Friday, but some of this it, it is nice. It does to, seem to work out that way. It, a right. It, it's just like, it. hey, one guy can be out cutting, you know, get the triple more out. He's cutting Sunday afternoon. We're starting the Monday after. It just feels like that's in general how we do. So that, you know, Monday, May 29th looks pretty sweet to be kind of that day you might be starting to cut. Again, this is yeah. way... It's just how the calendar lies, but it ain't so, it, it's something that you really should stop and think about is once you knock that domino down, it basically creates the rest of the dominoes effect. And I've, I've had guys say it like, well, you, you know, what, what does it matter when we cut first crop? It's like, yeah, it does. Cause also you cut it too early. You might be cutting your fourth crop August, you know, fifth through the 10th. And then what? Do you take a fifth or not? And you get this weird, right. No, no man fall. Line. You're always wondering, ah, uh, right. Should I take it? And then you get tempted because it looks really good out there. And you're like, ah, oh, I should just cut it. We'll be fine. And, and maybe, maybe not. I think you know, we're going to get into some of these kind of indicators for when we harvest. Sometimes it just the plant just matures and we don't really, 
like waiting isn't going to do us really any any good. So it, it may be shorter than we wanted it, or Correct. maybe isn't quite the, where we are. But the plant is still maturing, and so it's the quality aspect of it is going to take a hit if you don't do it timely. If you're trying to wait for it to grow a little bit more, that's a great point, Matt. Is when in any forage when we switch from vegetative to reproductive, that's a huge drop in quality. So the more you can, the more you can watch that like you said i mean obviously it's good to watch height and using tools like the peak stick is one but you really want to get it when you start feeling buds out there it's probably time to get going because you know and and before you see any flowers usually if you want this really good you know if you want good quality so yeah like you said peak stick is one way um it's really only geared for first crop it's not like we carry it around all season it's kind of our indicator for when to start cutting and so it, it has an important role for first crop. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like we could adapt the peak stick a little bit and maybe add another side to it instead of just the strict measurement side. Maybe we need that mid-bud stage. Because hey. I feel like we all, we always hit that point of like, it's not quite bud, it, but it's not really vegetative. And it's like, do I fudge the numbers a little bit? Like, yeah, Or should I just take a test? And I've, I felt like that almost more years than than not, I think, as we get to a point of like, ah, it's just not quite bud, but I know it's going to mature here. Like, how far off am I going to be yep. by using right. one over the other? And and usually it's a pretty de- pretty good, like going from vegetative to bud, it's a pretty big jump in, right. in the quality. quality. So. And I don't know if that's no, you're possible, right. There should there should be like a middle. There, there, you're right. And if you look at the stick, it drops about ten point. Like if you kind of basically pick the same height and circle around the stick, stick, it's about ten points drop to twenty, just in like that same height but different stage. Mm-hmm. So you're right. We we do almost need like a yeah because you're right. It goes from vegetative to bud of bloom and it should be like a pre there's people call it like this pre-bud, pre-bud yeah. and I always laugh is like well is that vegetative or what is that and it, it just feels like where you just maybe feel that little bit of BB in there like it's just starting but yeah pre-bud's a weird it is, it's yeah. an odd yeah it's an odd time and it, obviously the weather is you know the ultimate factor when it comes to a lot of these things of how fast things are going to move but you just feel like alright am I going to miss the boat now because I'm I feel that little bit of a bud here, like, is it going to advance that much in the next week that all of a sudden we're going to hit certain sea flowers or something Right. that's really going to see a quality drop? But um, the, the peak stick itself is a, is a pretty amazing tool oh, absolutely. of how accurate that thing can be where you're, just, you're basically just measuring height and stage, and then it equates that to a RFQ, and it, 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 it's pretty accurate. And um, I'd say in general, it's more accurate than scissor clippings a lot of times. I don't know why. Um, It seems to kind of judge that stage a little bit better. And then, like I said, it's nice because if you do it, say, mid-May, you get a height, and then you do it kind of like how the counties do the peak stick readings. They do it like twice a week with scissor clips in that mid-May time. And you can kind of get an idea, too, of projecting when you'll need to cut with that which is nice because you'll yeah and i do like watching that when because obviously we as a company participate in in the counties uh, where we can and just look at that data and compare it to the peak stick and and that kind of gives you a couple different indicators of okay where are we at like 
every farm's a little bit different too in what quality they seem to want or what they're willing to put in depends on if how they're managing their forage but between those two we can kind of get a pretty decent idea of where where things are at and maybe when to start looking at getting the cutter bar ready and, and getting out there so um you know crop height ties into the pea stick or uh, peak stick but it can also be really variable i mean some years we get cold and it maybe doesn't get as tall but it still matures other years it grows like a weed and and doesn't mature as fast it just plows through that vegetative growth yep so it, it's hard to really say like oh yeah it's 24 inches cut or holy crap it's 35 inches let's we should get get out there um it's an important aspect of the peak stick and kind of how we we can measure things but it's not something i would go off of alone of just the crop height right it does seem that when you get to that 24 26 for what we are making for dairy cows that's when we want to cut but there is times where you might yeah it might be 18 but it's ready to go right yeah. right yeah don't let sort of a shorter crop fool you sometimes uh, the other parts i mean most of quality in alfalfa is in is in the leaves right so as it gets taller i mean you're losing some of those bottom leaves and it can really drop in quality or change in quality depending on how how that is and and like leaf content so like i said it almost is amazing that this stick can even be at all accurate because you're not you're not at all judging leaves you're, you're it's height and stage and that's it and like i said it's it's pretty accurate i can't remember what peak stands for it's like at all like i don't even remember what yeah. the, the p or any of it and obviously it's some acronym that like say i don't I don't yeah, have anything on that. I feel like I've seen it before because it's P E A Q, so yep. it's not. It's alfalfa quality. I think is the the A Q. Oh sure, alfalfa. So predicting probably predicting excellent alfalfa quality. I here, here is the. If you Google, it says physician, 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 efficiency, appropriateness, and quality. Hmm, that's so it's a uh, no. I, this is a definitely that's, a different. That's a different P. P. This, yeah. Yes. But yeah, it's got to be. It's, oh, here, predictive equation for alfalfa quality. There you That's go. What yep. it is? There we go. That makes more sense than physician. <laughs> because too, the stick was. They always had this equation back, you know, where you just would measure height, and then forage councils and the Midwest Forest Association started selling those sticks that are basically like a yard stick, and then there's a true measurement on one side, and then like we said on all the other, there's a vegetative. In a measurement and a bloom and a yep, yep. vegetative bud and bloom. Do you carry the stick around or do you just? I usually throw one in the truck. Do you? Early yeah. Season, yeah. I don't know why I, I I I hate carrying that stupid stick around. So I usually just measure and then look up the chart. I I don't always take it into the field with me, but I like having it as a reference. Yeah, that's true. And um, because I I mean I could put it on my phone, but it's nice to as a training tool too. So when we have summer scouts, if they're Right. If when we're still doing peak sticks when yeah. they're around. If you tell them just to measure height, they don't always get it where this, even that stick has like directions how to use it, which yeah. is nice. So, and I've, I think for four, good four years, I had a on-farm alfalfa plot where we would take peak measurements of each section of the plot. And so okay. I got used to carrying right. it Right. Then that you too. want the stick to just right. to be more accurate. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, I, I think 
there's a lot of indicators we can use, but you know the peak stick is is important as as are those scissor clippings to kind of give you two points of of data to kind of evaluate things, and that's something we should have uh, talked to our nutritionist friends about maybe is where they like to see it. Right. Because they're really helping make that decision on the farm. Well, I would agree that is a, a farmer, nutri- like where do you want it? Yep. And then we'll try to, you know, get it to that spot as good as we can. But we, I don't want to say we really don't care, but it's up to them. As we stated earlier, maybe a little bit care where if they want it such rock of fuel at like 220 or 240 RFQ where you're cutting mid-May, that's a little bit tough. And some guys like it where woody and right. a little beyond just because either it's going for heifers or the way they're managing their ration, it, it works. The, right. Because I know there, there's one farm uh, that one of our guys works with that oh, would always do the scissor clip. And the few times that I've taken it there, late season especially, it's like, oh, I'm walking across this field without ever touching the ground. Yeah. Because it's, it's all lodged. And, yeah. And you can usually see a couple flowers for sure. Yeah. It always is weird walking hay, like for a beef guy, where you like see the seed head of alfalfa and all that, and you're like, holy man. Oh, yeah, where they're only doing three cuts a year. Right. Compared to we've got dairies doing like five, right. six sometimes. Right. Yeah. So it, it is a very different thing for every farm, but yeah, I, that is usually my first question is like, what do you want it at? What, right. What's your goal for quality? We'll try to hit it, but. And I do think that is an important part, though, is so first crop's about 40% of your total yield. So when it's staying near half, you do want to you we got to hit that one right. Right. So if it is sacrificing second, third, fourth that that, that they're a little off schedule, it probably is worth it when that's forty percent of your yield. But it's it's a consideration always to be thinking of all year when you're making that choice. But I mean, say you got five ton alfalfa. I mean that's two ton just in first crop, and I mean normal first crop. Hopefully, yeah, you're two to two and a half ton. I mean that's a big part of right that's a lot of feed. every yeah what i to harken back to the brewers is you know right now they're off to a hot start doing really well but they got a whole marathon of a season to go of 182 games that right. you gotta you gotta try to keep that up and do well through the whole season like this is obviously like we got 40 percent of our race run now like we gotta like it's yeah, almost like open the season really like, good yeah you know um because it's nascar that like the indie no, that's not. I don't. I should know racing, but one of them they start with like the big race is right away. Oh yeah, yep. Or like golf, like the Masters is well, right now. NASCAR, like, yeah, the point system and yeah, some are worth more points. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. But like, let's like golf, like the Masters is right now. Like one of the biggest like golfing events is right basically to kick off the year, and that's what first crop is. Like yeah. we gotta hit first crop right. It is just yeah. a very important crop it's a very important time sometimes you might even have to park you know your corn planter to make sure you get first crop done i mean that i'd rather you didn't but just that timing can be that important that yeah time. well and sometimes that's a reason why a lot of farms take the first crop of an alfalfa field before they tear it out even you know even if they're planning to get rid of it just to get that extra feed because they are getting most of it so really yeah baseball is more like a marathon Alfalfa yep. is like a sprint. Like a sprint. Yep. We got to hit it hard and fast, and you know maybe we'll slow down toward the end, but we got to make sure we start well and hopefully end well. So there you go. There's some considerations as we get, you know, ready to in a, somewhere between a month and a half to two months get harvesting of our alfalfa, and now we'll move into our spotlight for today. 
So the food and egg economy are surpassing pre-pandemic levels. Latest report finds that economic output of food and egg industries have increased in every state during the 2022 calendar year. Uh, agriculture sector, including related activities, contributed more than $8.6 trillion, with a T, to the national economy, which is a 22% increase since 2019. So, you know, in Wisconsin, we know agriculture is a big part of our economy and in our state, but even on the national level, it's actually increasing over the last couple of years, which is kind of cool. Do you, th- do you think it was a lot of that is because of price difference? I mean, uh, enough of it. I'm sure enough of it is, yeah. but also just since, obviously, like it, the article mentions the pandemic, we've, we had kind of a, you know, food, we were relying on food, but we also weren't going out to eat as much. And Yeah, it so was, was all just, everything got, yeah, changed. Yeah. And so now I think we're, we're seeing, at least I'm seeing when I, the few times we go out to eat every once in a while, it, <laughs> well, things are busy. And, it's, di- yeah, yeah. yeah. So, which is which is good for those businesses, good for ag. Um, you know, obviously there's still points of contention out there with the war in Ukraine and supply chain issues uh, lagging behind, uh, you know, a lot of COVID policies kind of going away. But it, it's nice to see that things are headed in the right direction and hopefully 2023 will do even better. So now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. All right, so since we're talking alfalfa, it seems that alfalfa originated in South Central Asia and was first cultivated in what is now Iran. It was introduced to Greece in about 490 B.C. when Persians invaded the Greek territory. Alfalfa cultivation is discussed in the 4th century A.D. book Opus Agriculturae by Palladius, stating one sowdown lasts 10 years. Wish we got 10 years out of our alfalfa yeah, crops. They'd better alfalfa than we did. A <laughs> uh, little different environment that uh, they're yes. growing in it too. Yes. But uh, the crop may be cut four or six times a year. So even a long time ago, they were doing multiple cuts. And it's abundantly sufficient for three horses all year long. It doesn't really give a acreage amount of harvest, but getting that many cuts obviously made it well. So ancient Greeks and Romans believed, which is probably correct, that alfalfa came from Iran. And the name of the root for the alfalfa genus is known as Medicago. And that comes from the name Medica, which was used, uh, once meant a citron fruit, but also believed to have come from the same land as alfalfa. So... Kind of cool. Alfalfa has been around for a long time. It's been moved from kind of the Middle East Mediterranean area all the way to the North American continent. And it's something that a lot of dairy farms rely on to a certain extent. So It is neat that it's, it was basically like a desert crop. Right. That we could grow it, you know, in clays and in... Loams and and cold too. Right? Yeah, we've talked before in the podcast about dormancy rates and and everything of different alfalfas and how yeah it's adapted to this environment quite well. 
Yeah, it really had. I mean, that's a, it's amazing that we could use crops like this. And this one too, probably the ancient alfalfa doesn't look that much different, you know, than what we're currently using. I'm sure it looks a lot, you know, different. But compared to corn, right? Where ancient corn doesn't look at all. <laughs> Itty bitty little seed head. Yeah, it's just very different. So, well, good. Thanks, man. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell a farmer friend. That's all we ask. All you need to do is search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts. Or on your Android phone, you do need to do a little bit different. You might have to download an app. Uh, we'd like a couple apps, Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM are all really good apps to use. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tilthag.com slash podcasts, and they're all available there. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, they should follow the Facebook. We'll have to put out some. Next week, we got an interview with with uh, Dr. John Gazer. Yeah, for, and should be should be a good one. He's more animal nutrition. Should be a lot of fun to kind of talk agronomy, nutrition, sort of crossover. Bringing two worlds back together, because really, that kind of used to be all yeah, kind of one, uh, right. one aspect, and, and now it's become more specialized. Specialized in each, and you're right that hopefully bring in make it more conversations between so that everybody's on the same page and do what's best for the dairy farm so absolutely all right now it's time for our cool beans that's corny and some current events so cool beans cool beans cool beans cool beans yes thank you for covering bill and max on that one all right our cool beans this week as we talked about plant 2023 planters are already rolling in some parts of the country and even despite some of the slow start up here in the Midwest with our weather, uh, as of April 2nd, 2% of the country's corn crop has been planted, which is right on par with both the five-year average and last year's pace. Texas is above the average. They have 57% of the crop in oh, the ground, man. which is three percentage points above both the five-year average and this time last year. Obviously, Texas is dealing with some some drought issues, so hopefully... Now that it's in the ground, they'll get some decent weather to kind of carry them through. Uh, the U.S. Farm Reports Facebook page showed weather extremes are creating issues for farmers this year, whether it's us getting the slow start in the cooler weather or, like I just mentioned, Texas being in kind of a drought in parts of their state. Uh, it showed farmers in parts of the Midwest are looking to start planting, while other f- farmers in the South may have already wrapped up planting for the year. So it's... it's- it's very, I mean, and then you go to like North Dakota, Minnesota, and they got just well, piles of snow, and they're getting more this I, weekend, or in the storm that we're going to get touched with a little bit. It sounds like they're going to they're get, get more. Yeah. yeah, so it's just a every spring you get this where just different. You know, you got flooding in California, drought here. Like it's going to be different, but it does feel very polarizing this year. You got just well, and, and weird California swings. went from right a sustained drought to now they've got more water than they know what to do. With. Right. Right, so it's just the the switchover is crazy. I I saw some articles talking about prevent plant, like in late March and even now in early April, like of you know, and they, and they're specifically kind of talking about oh, it's coming up. Good, yeah, yep. All right, you're getting ahead of us. Yeah, now. no, I just still can't. Yeah, that that we're we're um, yeah. I, I was just trying to plug it, man. That's all right. No. Well, all right, that, that is a good segue into our that's corny this week, Todd. Is prevent plant concerns are heating up as the upper Midwest could see the worst winter storm of the year. And that's, again, hitting that North Dakota, Minnesota area. 
Um, I, I can't believe that articles are talking about prevent plant in March and early April, but I get, it. I mean, they're forecasting going like if they get this much snow and I mean, the water that that creates when it melts and how long it takes to melt. So yeah, I can, I can see why, but at the same time, it's like, let's just that, pump yeah. the brakes a little bit. Like we'll be hopefully okay. But yeah, I, and it does, the article does, you know, historic snowpack, you got more on the way. It's just well, and, and there again, the Dakotas. I think we're seeing some drought issues, and now hopefully with this snow yeah. melt, I you know I think their biggest issue is they they can't hold it as well. Um, so right. yeah, they'll have early good early season moisture potentially. Um, just matter how things kind of play out through the year, but and then Minnesota. I mean, we have some pretty diverse you know weather patterns and and areas across our state, but Minnesota from that Dakota line to the Wisconsin border always seems to have a lot of variety over yes. there as well. Yeah. That is a good, that's corny. That is definitely. <laughs> so, all right. Now we'll wrap things up with our field good Friday this week. And here we have some Wisconsin farmers being honored in Oshkosh. The 2023 master agriculturist awards program was held at uh, in Oshkosh at the end of March here, March 30th. So seven Wisconsin farmers earned that honor this year. They include Carol Hillen of Ladysmith, Jim and Robin Sequist of Ellison Bay, Marty Halleck of Mondovi, Eric Hillen of Ladysmith, and Roger and Tammy Wyland of Columbus. So kind of a broad geography stroke there. We've got all the way up to Ellison Bay and down in... Columbus, so these it's, it's cool that we have yeah the the masters. That's great <laughs> with the the golf tournament. The masters starting, we can a masters in agriculture yes. of a different sort, not not coming from a university. Uh, so they were honored at Lashur's Banquet Hall in Oshkosh. Winners were selected for their proven ability and accomplishments as progressive farmers, as well as for the time, effort, and leadership they contribute to their communities, churches, and agricultural organizations. So the keynote speaker was Marik Penterman, a dairy farmer, award-winning cheesemaker, and owner of Marik's Gouda Cheese of Thorpe, Wisconsin. She spoke about the challenges and rewards of establishing a 450-cow dairy farm and business while juggling a family. Wisconsin Agriculture Secretary Randy Romanowski also spoke about the importance of farming, family, and leadership. The award is given... Not only to the selected individuals, but also their families. It's one of the oldest farm awards programs in the state and is one of the longest-running career achievement honors programs in U.S. agriculture. The award dates back 93 years to 1930, when Wisconsin agriculturists first started honoring Wisconsin farmers for their hard work, dedication, and success in farming and exemplary leadership. So it's interesting that the Dust Bowl era was kind of when they right, started. Right, when they started, with this. yeah. I, I like that it's like a family award, too. That's really cool. Which yeah. a lot of ones in an egg are are like that, but that, it, you know, really kind of represent yeah. the whole farm. But this way where it's kind of representing the whole family is a really good way to do that because most of the, you know, that's it takes the whole family to make yeah, these it takes farms a village. Home. Yes. Sometimes a bigger village, sometimes a smaller village, but always a village. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, Todd. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about first crop alfalfa and some considerations for when to start cutting as we get 
to that part of the season. In our spotlight, we took a look at the food and ag economy surging ahead past pre-pandemic levels. Ag History Minute, we talked about the history of alfalfa. Our cool beans this week was planters continue to roll and some areas of the United States are already up past halfway as far as planting goes. That's corny is prevent plant concerns are still around um, even though we have some time before season really gets rolling. And our Field Good Friday was a number of Wisconsin farmers being honored in Oshkosh as master agriculturists. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.